book of 3 John. See, that looks new. New stand. Well, it's bulletproof. So, never know where you're going to preach from. 3 John, let's go to the Word. Let's go to the Lord in the Word of Prayer. And then we'll look at this beautiful letter together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the moments that are before us. We thank you, Lord, for your Word. Oh, so often we have opened it, Lord, and we've received such good teaching. But we would ask this morning that, Lord, that we would see something new, something uh, afresh, Lord, that would cause our hearts to be stirred. We'd ask now, Lord, that uh, Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Uh, Lord, take me out of the picture and may the words that are spoken now, uh, Lord, be from you. Uh, Give us hearts that are soft, Lord, and we ask that we would leave this place in the next half hour and 45 minutes, should you tarry, changed people with a different attitude and mindset towards who you are. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A few years back, I don't know, uh, it might have been two or three years back, we had another winter sort of like this, so much so that Julie and I decided we're not sticking around much longer, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we headed down, uh, I think it was on March break, somewhere down there, to one of my favorite spots to travel, it was down to Florida, and we'd been there numerous times, and I said to my wife this time, every time we go down, we take my manual chair, and you end up having to push me wherever we go, and I don't want you to have to do this. Uh, it, this time. I, I'm going to look into trying to figure out if we can get my power chair taken down to Florida with us so you don't uh, have to be tied all the time to me. We can, uh, you can have your freedom to go wherever and, and I certainly have my independence there. So I looked into the airlines and, and I, I looked at all the different paperwork and the specifications of what the measurements of my, my power chair had to be and we came to the conclusion that yes, I could do this and I filled out the proper paperwork and I was about an inch under the height regulation, which was just perfect. It was going to fit fine and stow, stow away nicely. And we got to the airport, and I was a little nervous. You've got $10,000 of a chair that's going to be shoved underneath a plane there, and they were going to take care of it, and you're not going to have control of it. And I'm usually ushered onto the plane first because they, they put you in a little chair and strap you in like it looks like a little electric chair, basically, and they... They back in up the aisle and load you in. And I go to the window because I can't be of any help if there's an emergency. So I'm not allowed to sit in the aisle. So I'm over on the window seat and I look out and I see a little man, maybe five feet high at the most, trying to pick up a 300-pound power chair and put it up onto the ramp to get it up underneath the, the plane. And from there, I didn't think things were going to go so well. Eventually, we left about 20 minutes late after that. They did have to take it around to the back and loaded into a bit bigger of an area. And when we got there, the chair was in relatively good shape, a few scrapes here and there, but it had traveled well. And, and so I thought, well, I've got peace of mind about this. I can tuck that away. There'll be no trouble going home. Well, we decided to come home, of course, at the end of the holiday, and I didn't think anything of it. I figured same plane. It was same plane, same company. They ought to know what they're doing in handling it. Well, when we got back to Portland... And we were unloading it. We waited and waited and then did a little bit more waiting. Uh, We'd already collected our luggage off the carousel. We were still doing some more waiting. And then out of the corner of my eye, I caught what appeared to be a beat-up kind of grocery cart that had kind of met a truck head-on. And there was 
a tire off to one side, and there was a push rim off this side. There was about six feet of cable hanging out behind it. And the man brought it to us, and he said, sorry for the weight. And he left it there, and he turned around and left. Now, if I'd been able to get up, I would have grabbed him by the throat. So it was a blessing that I was in a chair at that time. But the nerve of it, he just said, here's your chair, sorry for the weight. And then, of course, we found the, the baggage claim there and the damage. And we, and we went over to the damaged uh, where you claim your bags that have been damaged there. And they couldn't have treated us more more nice. It, it was, it, they couldn't do enough for us. Matter of fact, every time the supervisor turned around to fill out another paper, the other person there would hand me another $50 voucher for the next flight. And we ended up with I, six or seven of them the time the, the whole claim was done. But in a nutshell, this is what Third John's all about. It's this whole thing of hospitality, how to treat one another properly. And this is what uh, John, John writes. We have a very personal letter that's penned by the Apostle John to a dear friend, encouraging him to keep on keeping on despite the opposition he faced by a man by the name of Diotrephes. You've got to remember, uh, we've got to put it into pro- proper perspective. The early church was planted, and you would have these, not buildings like we have here, you would have various house churches, and, and you would have these qualified teachers that the church would send out, and these approved tr- teachers would travel and visit in order to make sure all things were correct and going well. And you've got to remember, in the early days of the early church, there were no holiday inns. There were no best westerns you could stay at. So these travel, traveling itinerant ministries uh, and pastors that were going along checking in on these different churches, uh, it was the responsibility of the membership to, to put these people up and take care of them and host their families and make sure they were doing well. Well, in the church that Gaius was at and was part of, there was a pastor and a leader there who wasn't willing to give up his pulpit. He wanted to be front and center in front of everyone. It was his church. He didn't want anyone coming into his congregation. Uh, it was his church. It wasn't the Lord's church. It was his church, Diotrephes. And he wouldn't receive these teachers in, even though they were approved by the Apostle John himself. Um, it, it was just something that was, that was very much a, a man full of pride, but... Godly Gaius, or Gaius, depending on how you pronounce it, sticks his neck out on the line for these faithful, trustworthy men that are traveling, and he opens up his home to them, and he meets their needs, and he sends them on their way, probably in better shape than what they ever arrived at. Folks, don't ever underestimate the importance of hospitality and fellowship in the church today, because it's sorely lacking in the church in North America. There used to be a time where where as, as, as a kid, I don't ever remember going home right after the church. We would go to one another's houses. We would talk about the message. We would talk about what we'd learned. We would encourage one another. We would, we would share with one another. Back in the early church, they had to be a team. They couldn't be just one for one another looking out just after themselves. They were surrounded by folks with animosity towards the church of Jesus Christ. They wouldn't survive if it was just about them they had to fellowship one another. They needed the encouragement. They needed the love. And I don't know what's happened in our generation today, but all of a sudden it's become more about us and our time and how dare we inconvenience ourselves and get out of our comfort zones by, 
by taking time to, to sit down with one another during the week or to encourage one another on a Sunday afternoon, folks don't ever underestimate the importance of hospitality and fellowship. And in a nutshell, that's what this book's all about. It's the shortest book in the Bible in terms of words, but in it is jammed full such practical truth for the believer. I'm of the opinion, if, if you will, that verse 2 is really the launching point of what we ought to hang the, the remaining 14 verses off of. Look at it with me. After John gives his greeting in verse 1, which is a pretty regular greeting, he says these words, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, and if you've got a pen, you should underline this part, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Let me read it again. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, note now, and be in health just as your soul prospers. That's an incredible statement when you stop and think about it for a few moments. We may gloss over that quite easily. I don't know what Gaius' health situation was, whether he was a, a healthy man or a, or a sick man, but what John's prayer for him was right off the beginning was that he be as well off physically as he was spiritually. That's a significant compliment uh, and gives us some insight into Gaius' life. That's an incredible comp compliment. Can you imagine this morning if I could just instantly snap my fingers and your physical health would all of a sudden match your spiritual health? Can you imagine that? All of a sudden if I could just snap my fingers and all of a sudden whatever your health is spiritually inside, all of a sudden physically you would look like that. Would some of us look a little pale? Would some of us be running a bit of a fever or maybe... maybe Maybe some of us would be sick and running out to the wash, or maybe, maybe there would be some in need that we would need to call 911. There'd be critical, a critical illness there. And maybe, I don't know every one of, of, of your hearts, maybe there would be maybe even a need that there'd be someone dead that would be in need of cardiac arrest. There'd be someone here that may have understood all the things about the Bible, but they've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby they don't just have a head knowledge of Him, They've entered in a relationship with Him where, where they call Him their Savior. And He is what inspires them and, and that they live their complete life after. And that's what Gaius is saying. And that's what John is saying to Gaius. I, I am so glad that you're spiritually healthy. And if I could get you to match your, your, your physical health up to that, Gaius, it would be a wonderful thing. This man had an incredible, incredible spiritual relationship with his Lord and Savior. And these two men, Diotrephes and Gaius, you couldn't have two further extremes in regards to spiritual health. And this disturbing part to me is, in regards to this whole thing, the sick one is masquerading as a spiritual leader. And if that were the case in the church back then in the early days, what reason would there be for us to not believe that it's happening in churches today? It's called amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And it's a disease where the nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord that control the muscle movements get all out of whack. And it's, it's maybe you recognize it more as called ALS. Or maybe some of you recognize it as, as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's said to be the hardest disease for doctors to diagnose. Tests include electrodiagnostic tests, including electromyogram, um, electromyography, nerve cell conditioning, 
uh, blood cultures, urine studies, spinal taps, x-rays, MRIs, myelogram of the cervical spine, muscle and or nerve biopsies. And on top of that, doctors can't say with 100% guaranteed uh, certainty that that's what that disease actually is in a person's life. Well, when it comes to spiritual illness, folks, the Lord saw fit to give us a fail-proof diagnostics test uh, for us to ascertain unhealthy areas in our Christian lives. And in this small letter that John penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have a wonderful place to start because in just a span of a few verses, we can see the contrast between a very spiritual man, healthy, that's very healthy, and a very sick individual spiritually. I love Gaius. I love as you read about Gaius. He's my kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that was at the, at the desk that just gave out travel voucher after travel voucher. He, he was the kind of guy that said, look, if you're in my area, come on over and stay with us. Uh, if he was married, I don't know if his wife appreciated the gift all that much. You know, you've got... We've got eight or nine people staying. It doesn't matter. Come on over and join us anyway. Uh, you can bunk with us for the evening. You know, in Gaius, I see some things that are very helpful for us. And they're what I've called helps to having a healthy soul. There's three of them that I want to touch on this morning. And then we'll look at uh, diatrophies. But there's three helps, really, to having a healthy soul is what I see in this letter. The first one is really what I call having a good testimony. The first real help to having a healthy soul is found at the beginning of verse 3. You see it there? Beginning of verse 3 it says, For I rejoiced greatly, this is John talking to Gaius, when brethren came, what's the next word? And testified of the truth that is in you. You Really the first mark to having a healthy soul is a good testimony. Others spoke well of him. He didn't need to speak about himself at all. Others spoke well of Gaius. Have you ever met someone that just loves to talk a little bit? Well, actually talk constantly about themselves. Loves to talk constantly about their ministry. Loves to talk constantly about the things they're involved in. Loves to share about the things they've accomplished. Gaius had no need to do that. Others were doing it for him. Reminds me of what Solomon wrote over in the book of Proverbs where he said, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver or gold. I think of men like Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? The son of encouragement. He came alongside Paul when, when he became a Christian and he introduced him to the disciples. And you remember Barnabas taking alongside John Mark after Paul and him had had a falling out. I think of guys like Daniel who are known for what they did, not what they spoke about they were going to do. I think of guys like D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, J. Hudson Taylors. They understood their insignificance in light of their Savior. Folks, a good testimony is meaningless if it's only spoken of by you. And Gaius understood that God uses the weak to glorify himself. Can I ask you a question this morning? What would others say about your testimony? What would others say about your name? What would others say about the name Steve Wagstaff when it's spoken without me in their company? The telltale sign of a healthy real soul, is first and foremost a good testimony. Gaius had a wonderful testimony. Well, if the first mark of a healthy soul is a good testimony, secondly, we could really say the second mark is the, the fact that you walk the talk. That you walk the talk. It was one blistering hot day when 
They had guests for dinner, and mother asked four-year-old little Johnny to give uh, return thanks for the food, but, but he said, I don't know what to say. He complained, oh, just say what you hear me say, his mother replied, and obediently the little boy bowed his head and said, oh, Lord, why did I invite these people over on a day like today? See, the mother's speech didn't match her outward display, did it? She, she said one thing, but within her heart, and within her soul, there was a, a total different character. She didn't really walk the talk. That couldn't be said of Gaius. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. Not only did he have a good testimony, but he walked the talk. Look at the beginning of verse 3. It says, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Note now, just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Not only was there truth in him, Gaius understood what was required of him. Gaius understood what, what was asked of him. Gaius understood what a relationship with Jesus Christ was all about. He had truth in him, it says, but notice this, that there was truth out of him. Folks, that's called action. Remember what Jesus addressed the Pharisees about over in Matthew 23, 27? These were the, the, the men that had all sorts of knowledge of the facts, all sorts of knowledge of the history. But Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like, what? Whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but indeed are full of dead man's bones. There's one thing about Knowing the Scriptures. There's one thing about understanding the Scriptures. But folks, it's another thing about taking action and leaving this building and carrying out the Scriptures. I recently heard of a man and woman that stopped in to buy some fast food and they paid for their food and they were given a paper bag that was on the counter and they, they assumed it contained their food of what they'd ordered and they got to the spot where they were going to eat and they opened up their their bag, and they found that it contained the day's proceeds of everything that the restaurant had taken in. The man closed the bag honestly, and he took it back to the fast food joint where they had been given the, the bag, and they'd handed back the money, and, and to much relief of the employees there, and uh, the management of the business was so impressed and so thankful that, that he insisted on honoring the man, and, and taking his picture, and calling a media outlet, and and doing a story on that. And, and the man said, no, I don't want any of that. And the, the owner said, no, we want to note the good things that people are doing. And he insisted so much so that finally the man took him aside and he said, look, I've got to tell you this. I'm so reluctant about this because the woman that was with me is not my wife. Didn't want that taken. Folks, sincere Christianity, sincere Christianity leads to the salvation of sinners and maybe the reason why we're seeing so few additions added to the family of God is that the bride of Christ has lost his first love and doesn't desire to produce new children. Folks, it's one thing to know truth, but it's a whole other thing to live it out. Mark of a healthy soul is a good testimony. The second mark of a healthy soul is that you walk in truth. It doesn't matter how many times you've been through the Bible question really has to be asked, how many times has the Bible been through you? How much action are you doing outside of this on a Sunday? How much action are you carrying out 
not on a Wednesday night when we meet with people we know and that are expected to say the proper things, but it's another thing when we leave these doors, what kind of testimony are we carrying out? What kind of action are we getting in? What kind of hospitality? What type of preaching of the word? What type of, of testimony are we carrying out when we leave these doors? Thirdly, the mark of a, a healthy believer is one who cares and shares with no partiality. Verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. I love that. Gaius didn't have his Fab Five plan when it came to his policy and ministry, which can be so easily to do. He practiced hospitality not only towards those he knew, but to those he didn't know. The principle is really this, is that there was none of what James called over in James chapter 2, partiality. Really, I love what Ray Pritchard says about James chapter 2. He says it's the case of the snooty usher. Remember the guy that came in with fine rings and apparel and he was ushered up to the front of the church and the other one he was kept into the back. And folks, sometimes that can happen in Christianity. It's called cliques. We get so used to running with the same group of people, associating with the same group of four or five people that on one side of the aisle over here we've, we've got friends. On the other side we've got brothers and sisters in the Lord whom whom we know we see on a Sunday, but we know nothing about them. We know nothing about their needs. We know nothing about sharing and caring with them. We know nothing about what's going on in their family because we've never crossed over the aisle to say, brother, how can I help you? Sister, what are you in need of? You ever thought of wanting to, to come over and just break bread over, over supper sometime and just have a time of fellowship with one another? There was no partiality. It's an interesting word, that word partiality. In the Greek, it really means this, to look at face value. It means to look at someone and make a judgment call about what they look like or about what their character is and whether that matches yours or not. And you make a face judgment call. It's called partiality. And it's happening in churches. And churches are being split because this person doesn't want to talk to this person. And this person doesn't share the same interests. And we don't want to share the same opinion. And we build up walls with one another. And is it any wonder that the church isn't producing new believers? Because we can't get along with one another, let alone about, let alone about getting along with, with the world outside of the church. There's got to be such a unique love. You're my brother. You're my sister. doesn't matter about this. We can agree to disagree. On this point, it's simply about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel of who I am. It's about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and he, what He wants to see done in His church. It's not always convenient, folks, but it's necessary. You know, that's Gaius the voucher guy. Healthier inside than he was out. He had a good testimony. He walked what he talked. He practiced what he knew and he cared and shared with equality. Well, if those are the marks of a healthy soul, the question begs to be answered, what are the symptoms of a sick soul? Well, enter stage left a man by the name of Diotrephes. If the story of James 2 could be called the snooty usher, then what we really have here in the, the third John, the book of third John, is the case of the power, trip, power tripping preacher. And it seems like many churches have a member or or have someone in leadership who insists on being the big boss. It's happening in our churches, and, and they want their own way. And sometimes it's the pastor who assumes, uh, assumes the dictator 
powers and forgets that the word minister really means a servant. If you were to go over to Matthew 18, 1, that you would find that Jesus' disciples often argued over which one of them would be the most important in the kingdom. And Jesus had to remind him that the pattern and the model of ministry was, was not the Roman official who lorded over the people, but it was the Savior himself who became a humble servant. You know, you want to find some symptoms of a sick soul. I find a disease in the Bible of what I'm going to call this morning diatrophitis. You got a little bit of diatrophitis in you? It's certainly found in these chapters here. Look at verse 9, the first symptom of what I call a sick soul or someone that's suffering from, from a little bit of diatrophitis is certainly this is pride. You see it there in verse 9? This is the, the Apostle John writing. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. It's interesting to start that the name Diotrephes is the English spelling of the Greek term diotrephus. And the word is made up of two English words, dios, meaning of Zeus, and trepho, which means to nourish. And it really, when you put the two together, you find that the name Diotrephes means Zeus nourished. Zeus was the chief of the gods of the Greek pantheon, you'll remember that. And then the custom of the early church, uh, the Christian who was a Greek, uh, it was that he would discard his pagan name upon his baptism and he would take a new Christian name, often describing his character. The name Epaphroditus meant charming. He was a warm Christian. That was the character of Epaphrodites. But you have now the man by the name of Diotrephes who's now leading the church there, who never changed his name altogether. He thought that you know what, being a leader of a church really doesn't matter. I'll keep my pagan name because in the end all and be all, it was all about Diotrephes. It wasn't about anyone else. It was about him and only him. So much so that he didn't even think it was important to ditch his Greek name. Reminds me of the I wills of Satan. Do you remember them? I will raise my throne higher. I will become like the most High. He wanted preeminence, and in the end, pride was the very downfall of Satan. Reminds me of the salesman who always closed hundreds of his pitches that said this, let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. Pride. There's something to be said about being up on one another, isn't it? There's something to be said about wanting to rise above Someone wanting to be the one that's got everything together just a little bit more than our neighbor does. That's called preeminence. Remember what Paul told the church in Philippi? He said, let nothing done be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem, uh, let each esteem his brother higher than himself. Remember John the Baptist, what he said? He said, he, meaning Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Do you recognize a little bit of diatrophitis in that area of your life? Pride. It's a symptom of a sick soul. Another P word you'll notice there, not only was there pride where, where diatrophies wanted preeminence, but look at the next P word there. He says, uh, with pratting words, with pratting words, he says, I will come to, I will call to mind his deed which he does with 
speaking against us with pratting and malicious words. That's a very interesting word, that word pratting. It really was, was used to speak of a pot that was boiling over. It was to describe the bubbles and the foam that were coming up over the edge of a pot. And it has the idea of just empty uselessness. It would be speaking empty jabber about someone. In our day and age, we would, we would say it would be like someone talking smack about, about another person. And that's what really Diotrephes was doing. He was talking against the Apostle John. He was talking empty words about others. You know, in order to sometimes build ourselves up, it requires ourselves to run someone else down. And unfortunately, it's becoming more of an epidemic in churches today. And then the body of Christ is hurting so much so. You know, can you think back this week? And ask yourself, have you done any pratting? you ever spoke against any one of your brothers and sisters this week? Have you ever spoken down about others? In the church, it can be real problematic and a sign of an unhealthy soul. Lastly, we see here the symptoms of a sick soul is, is a word, predominance, I call it. Controlling. Look at the second part of verse 10. It says, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And note now, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. See, Diotrephes in the end wanted control people by position and power. See, in the final analysis, Diotrephes thought he was the head of the church. That was the huge mistake. Understand this, folks, that, that, that Matt Trites and Larry Rushton and the rest of the deacon board aren't the head of this church. John MacArthur's not the head of his church. Erwin Lutzer is not the head of his church. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And he won't share that position with anyone, with no man or woman. That's his unique place to be. And when you find a person in a church or you find a group in a church who seek to control others from a perceived, a perceived position of authority, you'll find a very unhealthy church. You know, controlling predominance people aren't just found in unhealthy churches. They can be found in friendships. They can be found in families. And it's a serious sign of a sick soul. You know, there's a new tool that's been recently introduced into the medical field. It's been there for a number of years, but it's getting better and better. It's called magnetic renaissance imaging. I had a slide that I wanted to show you, but I didn't get it into the computer in time. But the x-ray used to be the clearest way to investigate things that were going on inside of the human body. But modern technology has is, is led for an easier way for doctors to really to spot problems. And it's this thing called uh, an MRI. Have you ever had an MRI? What it really does, it's an in-depth search of your body using magnets. And it can reveal real truths about what's going on physically inside you that the x-ray couldn't really, really penetrate to see what was there. You know, have you ever had a, a spiritual MRI lately? Where you've looked to the inner depths of your soul and, and, and you've seen that there's, there's some real, real spiritual things that are lacking. 
You know, this morning you can take a spiritual MRI by looking at the verses we've looked at. And you can test to see where you stand spiritually. And the Holy Spirit can be the one that can be the radiologist and diagnose where you stand. Gaius, man, he had a prosperous soul. So much so that the Apostle John wished that physically he could be as healthy as he was spiritually inside. He had a good testimony. He walked the talk. And he cared and shared with others without any partiality. And on the other hand, there's that man named Diotrephes. Who allowed pride to reign in his life. Who allowed pratting to be part of who he was spiritually. Loved to talk about others. Loved to run others down to make himself feel more important. And then finally there was that predominant part of him that wanted to control others. How spiritually are you feeling this morning? How well are you feeling? Physically, we're always saying, you know, you can gauge how well you physically feel. But this morning, can I ask you, how are you feeling spiritually? Maybe it's time we took an MRI and said to ourselves, am I suffering in any area from a little diotrophitis? Oh, Gaius, he had it all together. Boy, I'd love to be like Gaius, but I got to admit, sometimes I find more diatrophies in myself than I do. Gaius. I remember in closing, in teens, a young girl who had moved into our area by the name of, by the name of Amy. And Amy wanted nothing more than to fit in, in our youth group. She was a new believer. She wanted to, to really dig her feet in spiritually and be part of a group of Christian people. But Amy didn't really fit in. And I, I ran with two or three others in that youth group and we, we somewhat were the, the popular ones and the ones that people really looked up to. And I didn't want any part of Amy threatening that. So much so that we made Amy an outcast. We, we made fun of Amy. We didn't let Amy into our inner circle. So Amy found company outside of our youth group at the high school that she fit in. And the last thing I knew and the word I got about Amy after my accident was that she'd been abused in a relationship and that she'd walked away from her faith, that she wanted nothing to do with Christian people. To my shame, I don't know where that young lady is today. Why? Because I had a little bit of diatrophies in my life. Oh, I was a Christian, but I wanted predominance. I had pride. I wanted to control the people whom I was around. It's a sad thing, folks, and it's happening in churches today. Maybe it's time this morning we checked into our lives and said, what area of diatrophies is running in my life? And what can I do to fix it? Because there's nothing more great that we can have as Christian brothers and sisters than to be like Gaius and Gaius who wanted to fellowship with one another, wanted to love one another, wanted to accept one another inside the church and wanted to accept those outside the church. Oh, may the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, convict us of today of areas where we're unhealthy. Heavenly Father, we look at this book and we see a man, Gaius, who was so healthy physically. 
spiritually more so, Lord, that, that the Apostle John wished he was physically healthy that way. Lord, we would ask that we would look into our hearts this morning. And Lord, we would recognize that if somehow all of a sudden our physical health matched our spiritual health, we would be very sick people. Oh, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you search my heart? Would you grip, Lord, these people that are before me? That we would see if there was any part of diatrophies in our life that has pride, wants predominance, wants to control friendships, doesn't really want to let others into our lives because we feel threatened by them. Oh God, there's no room in the people's church. There's no room in any church for that to happen. Perhaps, Lord, that's why we're not seeing souls moved and saved in a miraculous way is because we have enough trouble dealing with one another, let alone the outside world. Oh God, by your Spirit, may we look inside and say, I love my sister. I love my brother. I don't want any part of diatrophies in my life. Oh God, we're thankful for your Word that it penetrates even the most hardened areas of our souls, Lord. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, we would allow not only to be convicted, but we would allow change to take place in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these dear people. Thank you for the love that we share with one another and ought to have for one another. Bless the people's church in the days to come as we search for our new pastor. And Lord, may there be a love and a sharing and a fellowship and a kindness and a hospitality like there hasn't been in years. And Lord, may this be a, a hotbed in the area of Carlton County that others would say that something good is happening in that church. And may it, Lord, be a church that another pastor or another man of God would say, I would love to shepherd them because they are people on fire for you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.